Hi, I'm Jeff Watts, and I want to welcome you to the Renaissance Podcast. And I also want to thank you for partnering with us as we strive to reach the heart of our city with the truth and love of Jesus. There's always something new and exciting happening here at Ren, so please follow us on social media. You can find us by searching Renaissance Decatur. And you can also connect with us by visiting our website, rendecatur.org. Enjoy the podcast, and thank you so much for being a part of this community. Welcome to Renaissance. My name is Joe, and I'm one of the leaders here. We're so glad that you're here. If this is your first time with us, welcome. If you've come back for a second or maybe a third time, Thanks for coming back. Wow, we love it that we always have new faces around here every week. And and if this is your first time back, you may not know that something we do every week is study the Bible together. And that's what we're going to do tonight. A few weeks ago, we began a Bible study in the book of 1 Corinthians. So if you have a Bible with you, go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We'll also put the words up on the screen. And if you don't have a Bible with you, but you want to hold one, underneath every seat, we put a Bible for you. It's kind of like Oprah. You get a Bible, you get a Bible, everybody gets a Bible. And if you need to use that Oprah Bible tonight, you can turn to page 952, and that's where you'll find 1 Corinthians chapter 1. But as I was preparing for this on Friday, I received a phone call from one of my best friends. And he's been a friend of mine for half of my life. We know almost everything about each other. We're really close. We, we talk every other day through text messaging, but he rarely calls me. And so if he does call me, I know that something is probably up. And so I ignored his call. No, I'm kidding. I answered, I answered his call and I said, hey, what's going on? Hoping he had something exciting to tell me, but all he had to tell me were the terrible things that were going on in his life. And for an hour, we talked about how his life is kind of, kind of in in shambles right now. It's in a severe mess right now. And and if he said it, if he said it once, he said it a hundred times. I'm such an idiot because he made choice after choice after choice that got him into that place. And I said to him, yes, you are an idiot. This is how I treat my friends. So if you want to be my friend, expect that from me. But I said, yeah, you are really an idiot. You are in this position because of all the choices that you've made. You've made your bed and now lie in it. And at some point, I realized that I should probably start to encourage him and minister to him. And so I asked him, I said, I said, why do you think you wound up in this position? What, what brought you to this place? Because this is a friend of mine that we, we met in youth group. We grew up together in church. We've served in ministry roles together. This is someone who at one time desired to be a pastor. He knows who Jesus is. And I asked him, how did you get to this place? And he said, somewhere along the way, he stopped finding satisfaction and fulfillment in who Jesus is and started looking for it in other places. It led him to make choices that have brought him to the place that he's in now. And I said to him, like you would in that situation, well, you're doomed. No, I didn't. I said, I said it's, it's, it's pretty easy. All you have to do is just return to Jesus. And I, and I wonder how many of us can look at our own lives and see similar things where we stopped finding fulfillment or satisfaction in Jesus and found ourselves drifting into other things. And we made choices that at the time we thought were good and maybe felt great, but eventually harmed us. 
This is the situation we find the church of Corinthians in. See, this book we learned a few weeks ago is actually a letter written by a man named the Apostle Paul who, who started a church in the city of Corinth. And he lived with them there for a year and a half. And after serving them and teaching them about Jesus and trying to help them understand who God was, he left to go start other churches. And after a while, he receives word that things in the church began to happen that, that showed that their loyalty to Jesus had changed, that they had stopped finding fulfillment and satisfaction in Jesus and started looking for it in other things. And Paul writes this letter to redirect them and help them change their minds. The Bible calls that repentance. He, he wants to help them repent and return to Jesus. And so he writes this letter, but he understands that that Coming against the message of the truth and love of Jesus, the good news of Jesus, are a few enemies that exist in the world. And, and these enemies are, are not people. Very often, the, the people we think in our life who are our enemies are actually not our enemies at all. You see, the Bible tells us that, that we're not fighting at any moment against flesh and blood. At no moment is another human being our enemy. The Bible tells us that there's actually a malevolent person. We call him the devil or Satan, that, that he desires to devour us. He desires to destroy us. And so our enemies are not people. And Paul understood this. The enemies to the Corinthians were not people. They were actually ideas that were in some cases influenced by the evil one, Satan. See, these ideas were advanced by culture because every culture has a story to tell. Every culture has a narrative to push forward and, and try to promote its own agenda. Every culture has a hero to lift up and point to as the one who's going to solve all of our problems, as the thing that's going to fix all of our issues, as the thing that we can lay all of our lives upon to be the fix-all for every need that we have. Culture has its heroes. And the issues that Paul was dealing with in Corinth, a city that was full of diverse cultures, he, he had to wrestle in this church with, with the Greek culture and the Jewish culture that each had their own hero to propagate. For the Greeks, their hero was wisdom. See, they believed that, that if they could gain enough wisdom, enough understanding about the world, if they, could, if they could gain enough logic and reason, if they could rationalize things, they would be able to fix every issue that they encountered. They would be able to have right relationships with others. Some of the greatest philosophers in antiquity came from Greece, and they believed that wisdom would be their savior. And isn't wisdom a good thing? Don't we want wisdom? Don't, don't we want to be able to make wise choices in all that we do? Wouldn't it be great if in every decision that we made, we just had the right amount of wisdom to always make the right choice? Isn't that wonderful? See, wisdom isn't a bad thing in itself, but what the Greeks had done was, was taken wisdom and put it in a place that only Jesus should fill because only Jesus can truly meet the needs that we have that require wisdom. For the Jewish people who were in the Corinthian church, their, their hero, their, their, their savior that they looked to to help them was this thing that they called power. It was specifically God's power that would intervene in the earth in specific situations and, and, and change the laws of nature, do supernatural things. We might call them miracles. Miracles. 
They at times called them signs. See, what they wanted was to believe that if God would show up and show them what to do, they would know that he was there and then they could follow him in that thing. And don't we want God's power in our lives? Don't we want to see him perform miracles? We want that every time we ask him to heal someone we know who is sick. We want that every time we ask him to, to heal a marriage that's struggling. We want God's miracles in our lives. Don't, wouldn't we love it if God gave us signs every time we asked him for them? If we had to make a decision and, and, and we needed to know that he was in the choice we were going to make, wouldn't it be wonderful if every time we asked him to prove that, that, that we were making the right decision, he would do it? Jesus, if you want me to do this, knock this glass of water off the table. And then it flies across the room. And you just know that's the thing to do. And then you say, Jesus, if it's really you, clean that mess up too. <laughs> Wouldn't it be great if, if that's how it worked? You see, seeking God's power is, is not wrong. But what had happened for the Jewish people was, was that they began to believe this, that if, if miracles were occurring, God was indeed present, which is hard to argue with. But they also believed this, contrarily, that if miracles were not happening, then God must not be present, which I would argue with. And so Paul has to wrestle with these ideas running against the Corinthian culture. And I wonder if maybe the Holy Spirit would wrestle with some of our ideas in us today, because culture, our culture, the American culture, also has a story to tell. And, and a hero that our culture presents to us is freedom. It's liberty. It's a desire to make our own choices and to, and to fulfill our own desires, to, to craft our own story and to seal our own fate, that if we work hard enough and are diligent enough, we can find success, we can have the American dream if we just give ourselves to it and seize every opportunity that comes to us. And isn't that wonderful? Isn't it wonderful that we have freedom to gather in a place like this and don't have to worry at any point if the authorities are going to come and tell us to stop worshiping? It's wonderful. But what happens is, is when we make freedom, liberty, the thing that we, that we have in this nation, the most important thing, it, it, it makes me wonder what we would do if we suddenly lost that. See, there are many Christians around the world who don't have the same freedoms that we have. They don't get to rely on the American hero, freedom, to rescue them. They have to trust in Jesus. They have to look to him as their hero because they don't have something else to rely upon. Paul's desire in writing this letter to the Corinthians is to provoke their ideas about who is God's true hero in the earth. And I, I pray that he wants to do the same thing for us tonight. So if you would read with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, he, he says to the Corinthians, the word of the cross, or the message of the death of Jesus is folly to those who are perishing. People who don't believe it, it sounds like a foolish tale. But to us who are being saved, those of us who do believe this message, it is God's power. For it's written in the Old Testament, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. And the discernment of the discerning, I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Where are those ancient philosophers who were full of wisdom? They're dead. That's where they are. Their bones are in the ground somewhere. Verse 21, it says, God, in the wisdom of God, the world did not know him through wisdom. 
And so it pleased him through the foolishness or the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs. Greeks seek wisdom. Americans love their freedom. But we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, those who have heard the message of God's truth and love through his son Jesus and believed it, those who are called both Jews and Greeks and Americans, Christ is the power of God. Christ is the wisdom of God. Christ is the freedom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. He goes on to say, Consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. He chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. He chose what is low and despised, even things that are not. Something as ridiculous as the hero of our story, giving his life in order to win. He chose that to bring to nothing things that are. And here's why. Verse 29 tells us, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, because of God, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God. He became to us righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Before we go any further, I want to stop and pray and ask God to, to help us see those areas where we've taken other things that, that culture has presented to us and made them the hero of our lives instead of Jesus. Would you pray with me? Lord, I ask that you would show us your truth. I pray that you would, that you would show us where we, are, where we are not relying on your son Jesus. I pray that you would open our eyes to that, to that reality and then that you would give us grace to trust him. Lord, I thank you that you've given us a hero in your son, Jesus. I, I thank you that, that, that he is all we need, that he's sufficient, that he's enough. So Lord, I pray that as we study tonight, we would see that and we would believe it. In Jesus' name, amen. Several times in this passage and, and all throughout the New Testament, actually, Jesus is referred to as Christ. Many times we, we see his name written as Jesus Christ. And it may surprise some of us to learn that Christ is actually not his last name. Jesus Christ is actually not his name. Christ is, in fact, a title. It describes who he is. So you could read it this way. Every time we see the words Jesus Christ in the Bible, we could read it like this. Jesus the Christ. Jesus the Christ. Jesus God's hero. Because the word Christ literally means one who has been chosen by God to rescue his people. One who has been chosen, the chosen one. So when we read the words Jesus Christ, what we're seeing is God saying, Jesus is my chosen one. Now, because God has given us free will, and because culture is also presenting to us heroes or Christ, if you will, of its own, the, the difficult thing for us is that very often we make the choice of which Christ we will serve. And instead of choosing God's Christ, many times what we do is choose the Christ that culture presents to us or choose a Christ of our own because don't we want our own way? Don't we love our freedom? Don't we hate to be controlled and told what to do? 
I've hated being told what to do all my life. I've hated feeling like I was controlled. I'm a very defiant person at times. And even at five years old, I remember a story where, I, where I'm at home and my cousin is visiting my mom and dad and she's dating a firefighter at this time. And the firefighter turns to my mom and dad and he's trying to be nice and trying to get in good with my cousin. So he's like, hey, do you think I could take the boys, me and my younger brother, do you think I could take the boys to the fire station? Now, what little boy doesn't want to go to a firehouse and climb into a fire truck and sit behind the steering wheel and honk the horn and turn on the sirens? What little boy doesn't want to do that? What grown boy in the room doesn't want to do that sometimes? So that's very exciting. He's like, I'd like to take the boys to the fire station. But I was playing with my Hot Wheels, and since it wasn't my idea to go to the fire station, I wasn't going to go. And I go out to my dad, and I... I say, Dad, I don't want to go to the fire station. And he did in that moment what, what any good dad would do. He, he made fun of me. And, <laughs> and he said, oh, so you want to stay with the girls? Yeah. And so I did what any good son would do, and I threw the toy at his face <laughs> as hard as I could. And I still remember him ducking and dodging the car and the look on his face when he sat up that said to me, when company's gone, your life is over. <laughs> but all my life, I've had to struggle with, with that problem of, of wanting my own way. If it's not my idea, I'm going to fight against it. If it's not my choice, I'm not going to enjoy it as much. And guess what I do sometimes? I throw my toys. Sometimes I break things. God's really working on me to, to, to not speak before I think about what he would want me to say. He, he's really trying to help me to change my thoughts before I hit send on an email. Maybe I should go back through and see if the tone is actually kind and Christ-like. He's actually working on me so that I don't just send the text message without thinking about what I'm going to say. He, he's working on me so that I don't call someone five times in a row after they don't answer when I'm angry and I'm trying to get a hold of them. What if every time we had a moment like that, we stopped and considered what would God's choice be for me in that moment? What, what, would, what would God's chosen Christ, Jesus, desire for me to do? Wouldn't all of our relationships be better if we approached life that way? Wouldn't, wouldn't everything that we did be better if we thought about what God's chosen Christ would want for us in that moment? I bet if we went around the room and were to ask one another the times that we knew God wanted us to do something and we chose to do what we wanted to do instead. I wonder how many of us would say, you know what, that thing I chose was much better than what God wanted. I bet we wouldn't find very many of those stories. See, God, God knows exactly what it is that we need. He's the wisest being in the universe. And as the wisest being in the universe, he always knows what is best. He always knows what is good. He always knows what is right. And so he always makes the best decisions. He always makes the best choices. And if he gives a choice to us as the wisest being in the universe, there's not one that is better than his choice. And he has given us his son, Jesus, over every other Christ that culture would give us. Now, beyond the Christ of freedom that, that truly, 
truly reaches in and pulls out that, that fear that we have of being controlled. It truly, it truly comes at us and says, you don't want to be controlled, do you? You, you want to have your own way. You want to have your own life. And so we, we seek freedom and liberty in our culture. We, see, we seek a desire to do our own thing. And God comes against that and pushes against that by saying, look at my son, Jesus, who on the night he was betrayed, he allowed people to come and seize him and arrest him and take his liberty away. He allowed people to, to nail him to a cross. He allowed people to strip his freedom from him. God says, this is the choice I have for you. It's my son, Jesus, who became your substitute so that we don't have to be controlled by our fear of losing control so that we can experience the true freedom God wants to present to us. Along with that narrative of freedom that culture presents to us, and along with the narratives of wisdom and power, there were other stories, other heroes, other Christs that the Corinthian culture was, was pushing towards the church that was there. And we'll learn about them in the coming weeks. But in the same way, I believe that there are different Christs that culture presents to us as well. And I want to talk about a few of them tonight. And the first one I'd like to talk about is Christ money, the, the hero of, of wealth, the hero of, of power, security, we might call it, the, the, the hero of having all of our needs met, everything that we need taken care of, and maybe even having more than what we need, maybe even having everything we want. And the desire for those things, if, if we make money our Christ, if we make money our hero or possessions our hero, oftentimes what we will do is do whatever it takes to have it, even sacrificing our integrity, maybe even sacrificing our families for it. You see, money, when it becomes, when it becomes our hero, what we find at some point when, when it fails is that we, we put our trust in a disaster, Many people who lost money in the 2008 financial crisis could say that. The economy could tank again tomorrow. You could receive a phone call that your company has been closed. Who knows if your job is promised to you? We don't know what the future holds to us. And so if our money is our Christ, when it falls apart, we will crumble. In the opposite vein... Some of us are laying in bed at night worrying about money, whether or not we'll have enough, whether or not all of our needs will actually be met, whether or not the real question is God will take care of us. Because when, when money is our Christ, we don't believe that Jesus is truly watching out for us. And so we lose sleep and we feel anxious and we forget that the Bible says God never loses sleep. God never tosses and turns. God never, he is never anxious over anything because he's watching over his children with great care. He's not worried about our future because he knows it and he understands it. I wonder what our lives would look like if, if we stopped and looked at our money and, and, and really considered, is it the thing that I put all my hope in? Is it the thing that I look to for security? Is it the thing that I'm trusting in to make sure that everything will be okay? And what if we were to ask God this? Lord, how would you want me to spend my money? 
What if we were to stop and consider how God wanted us to spend our money? I bet we wouldn't make some purchases that we make. What if we were to stop and ask God this? How do you want me to save my money? I bet some of us would begin to put a dollar or two away. What if we asked God this? Lord, how would you want me to give my money? I bet some of us would become more generous. See, oftentimes what happens is money, when it is our Christ, it controls us, and we serve it. And God's desire for us is that, is that money would serve us. See, money is not evil. Money's not wrong. It's actually a gift from God. There's a verse in the Bible that's misquoted all of the time. You've probably heard it quoted this way, that money is the root of all evil. Have you heard that said? That's actually not true. So if someone tells you that, they're wrong. And you should tell them that. You're wrong. The Bible actually says it's the love of money that is the root of all evil. Money is not evil. Money is good. It's a gift from God. It's a tool that he wants to use to advance his story on this earth. It's a tool that he wants to use to grow his story, to grow his church. It's not evil. It's a needed and necessary thing. It's the love of money that is evil. It's the desire to make money our Christ that is evil. It's trusting in money and riches more than trusting in the Lord that is wrong and that is evil. And God would tell us that if we would continue to depend on money as though it is as powerful as he is, we will find ourselves disappointed and maybe even in disaster. Jesus is the only dependable hero. Our money will fail us. Another hero that our culture presents to us, especially here in the American church, is the Christ of marriage. It's this idea that a person is incomplete or unfulfilled until they meet someone else to come along and, and do life with. And as an unmarried person, I'd like to say I'm personally offended by that. Oftentimes the idea that is uh, un, until you meet that person, until you get married, you actually can't live life to the fullest. You're missing out on so much. And maybe that's true, but I'll say this. Jesus was a single man who lived the most fulfilled life of any human being who ever lived. See, what we do is, is we look around and, and and we try to, to find someone that we can put all of our hope in. We can, put, we can put all of our trust in and expect that they will complete us. And if it's not in a marriage relationship, maybe it's a dating relationship. Maybe it's just friendships in general. But, but oftentimes we'll look around and we'll try to get someone else to complete us when the only person who can do that is Jesus. Now don't get me wrong. I want to be married one day. And I've thought a lot about it, and here's the conclusion I've come to, that there's no such thing as the one. There's no such thing as the one. College students who want to be married someday, high schoolers, there's no such thing as the one. Jesus is the one. Jesus is the one. You follow Jesus. He's the only one who truly loves you. He's the only one who can truly fulfill fill us. He's the only one who can meet every need in our hearts. And here's what we do. We find someone, the Bible would tell us, we find someone that we realize, oh my, I could stop being selfish for this person. And then with them, we serve Jesus together. 
There's no such thing as the one because Jesus is the one. And if you get married, he doesn't stop being the one. And I wonder how many marriages are in trouble because one spouse is looking to the other to be the one and to meet needs that only Jesus can fulfill. See, there are, there are desires in the human heart that are only met by God. There are needs that each one of us have that are, that are only fulfilled in God's Christ, Jesus. It is, it is really kind of silly and unfair to, to believe in this idea that there's a one. And, and here's a couple reasons why. Number one, it's pretty selfish of me to think that God's actually crafted another human being just for me. Another reason is it's really unfair for me to put every expectation onto that person to meet all my needs that only Jesus can fulfill. None of us is good enough as Jesus is. None of us are as good as him. You know what human beings do? You know what we do? We wake up in the morning and we say, who can I hurt today? Who can I disappoint today? Who, who, whose life can I ruin today? That's what we do. Jesus never does that. Jesus doesn't ruin lives. He, he, he doesn't hurt us. He is the only true faithful lover. And if we put our trust in him, we will find ourselves not disappointed in our desire for companionship. Another Christ that culture presents to us, and, and quite frankly, we don't have to look to culture to, to look to this hero. We just look within, and it's Christ me the Christ of myself, Christ Mises. <laughs> and we try to live life according to our own desires and according to the things that we want. If I can work hard enough, if I can give myself to, to, to every opportunity that comes before me, I can chase and I can find success and I can find fulfillment in the things that I want to do. I can find fulfillment for my own life through me i can have a freedom and i won't be controlled i disappoint myself every time i i bet we could go around the room and ask one another how many of us have disappointed ourselves pastor jeff says this all the time no one has let you down more than you no one has lied to you more than you when we look to ourselves to be the christ we will fail. We will come to ruin. The only dependable hero is God's Christ, Jesus. This is the point that the Apostle Paul's trying to, to drive into the mind of the Corinthians. And he, he says this to them in verse 21. The world did not know God through wisdom. Wisdom did not give people a knowledge of God. Power has not given people knowledge of God. Freedom does not give us knowledge of God. Money, marriage, myself, fill in the blank. Nothing helps us to know God. The only way we can know God is through his son, Jesus. Jesus answers every desire that we have through his power. And the Apostle Paul says that it's through the power of his cross, the fact that he laid down his life for us. He became our substitute. 
He answers our desire for, for security that leads us to worship money by, by, by leaving heaven. The one who created the universe and, and formed it by his words, Jesus, he left the riches of heaven and he came to this earth. The Bible tells us that, that he was rich and he became poor for our sake. He was stripped of everything that he owned. His clothes were taken from him and they were gambled over at the foot of his cross. He had nothing and he substituted himself for us so that every fear we might have of, of losing security could be met in him. And he killed that on his cross. He meets our desire for companionship and the fear that we have in the midst of that. By, on the night he was arrested, he's betrayed by one of his closest friends. He's also abandoned by his closest friends. That night when the police show up, everybody else scatters. Later on that night, one of his closest friends denies that they ever knew him. And then the next day when he's crucified, Hanging on the cross, he's finally rejected by God himself. And every fear we have in our relationships of, of rejection and denial and abandonment, Jesus meets that by becoming our substitute. He takes that upon himself and through his cross, he endures it and he kills it and he wipes away the fear of those things so that he can be the hero that we need. He can be the Christ. It's the power of his cross that we depend on to get us through when we're worried about whether or not he'll come through we look back at that moment and say he he gave himself for us god as the wisest being in the universe has chosen jesus as the christ and it's not like he looked around the room and said you'll do son he chose him because no one else could save us no one else could do it no one else was willing to give his life for us. No one else was worthy enough to give his life for us. Jesus is the Christ because no one or nothing else could be. And God presents him to us as his choice. And it is then up to us to choose him. How do we do that? Paul goes on to tell the Corinthians in verse 30, and I believe that this is a, a, a bit of a way that we can understand how we can choose Jesus as our Christ. He says this in verse 30, because of him, because of God, you are in Christ Jesus. It's important for us to realize that if we're to choose Jesus as our Christ, if we're to look to him as the hero to meet every need that we have, we must understand that it's actually God who is at work. It's not because in our great wisdom we opened our eyes and realized it. It's not because we were able to rationalize that Jesus must be the Christ. It's because God has supernaturally opened our eyes. It's because God has given us the ability to have faith in him. It's because of him that we're in Christ Jesus. If we're to choose Jesus, we must realize that it's all his job to help us do so. And then he says this, Jesus became to us wisdom from God. He became to us righteousness and sanctification and redemption. We have to realize if we're to choose Jesus as the Christ, we must realize that he is everything we need. That, that nothing else measures up. That, that nothing else can do the thing that he can do. That no one else can meet the needs that we have. Jesus is the one. And then he says this in verse 
31, so that it as is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. If we're to choose Jesus as the Christ, once we've, once we've realized that it's God's work and once we acknowledge that, that no one or nothing else can meet our needs, we accept that and then we just begin to brag about that. We brag about the things that, that God can do. We brag about what Jesus has done for us. The first Sunday of every month, we take communion together. And what that means is, well, in a few moments, you'll receive a little cracker and a little cup of juice. And, and we do that because we take that time once a month to remember what Jesus did for us when he went to the cross. We take the little crapper, cracker that represents his body and we, we eat it and, and we remember that he became our substitute. We take the little cup of juice and we drink it and we remember that his blood was shed to wash away our sins. And we do this because we want to take this time to brag about him. The, the act of communion, what we'll be doing tonight is what the Apostle Paul says. It's boasting in the Lord. It is saying, Jesus, you are everything I need and you've met every fear I have. You've fulfilled every desire in your cross. And because of that, we will remember it tonight and worship you. Now, we know that, that every time we come together, there are people in the room who may not believe in Jesus at all. And I want to say, when the crackers and juice come your way, you don't have to participate. We love that you're here. And, and most of what we do is actually so that you can have an experience that would, that would maybe cause you to think about whether or not Jesus is the Christ. But I want to give you permission to, to let the crackers and juice pass by, except this. I want you to consider this first. The Bible tells us that, that before we take communion, before, before we take the cracker and the juice and remember this, that, that all of us should pause and examine ourselves. We should all stop and consider. And I want to encourage all of us tonight to do that, to, to ask ourselves, is Jesus my Christ? And it could be possible that you're thinking of ways in which money or marriage or freedom or any of the other things I've mentioned have become your Christ. It could be possible that you're thinking of something I didn't mention at all. And I, and I want to caution you against ignoring that because I didn't mention it. Because what's probably happening is God's Holy Spirit is speaking to you about something that, that he wants to help you address. And we'll have time tonight to examine ourselves and stop and consider, is Jesus my Christ. And then in coming to that conclusion, he is my Christ. There's no one else who, who will come through for me. There's no one else who can meet my needs like he can. We, we will then celebrate and brag about him. I'm going to pray in a moment, and when I do, the, the team will come, and they'll begin passing to you. Now, I want to give each of you permission, once you've received the cracker and juice, to take a moment and examine yourself the Bible tells us. And then when you feel ready to do so, you go ahead and eat the cracker and then you drink the juice and you remember that Jesus became our substitute. You remember that he shed his blood to wash away our sins. And then after doing that, I want to encourage you that you could stand and begin to sing with the band and brag or boast in what the Lord has done for you. Would you pray with me? Lord, we are so, so thankful that you have given us Jesus as our hero. Lord, we don't know what we would do without him. 
We know that, that he's the only one who can truly meet our needs. We know that, that he's the only one who truly comes through for us. We know that no one or nothing else can fulfill us quite like he can. Lord, we thank you for his great love for us. We thank you that you sent him to this earth. Lord, I pray for those of us in the room who, who may feel challenged and discouraged when we, when we realize that something else has taken your place. I pray, that, I pray that you would remind us of the joy you had. Jesus, remind us of the joy you had when you went to the cross because you knew that in doing so, it would bring us into your family. So Lord, if we feel discouraged through realizing that we're serving something else, or through realizing that, that we've made something else our Christ, Lord, I pray that you would give us the freedom that truly exists in you and that we would come before you with boldness and joy. Lord, we thank you so much that, that you love us so much. We could never repay that. We could never return it in the same measure. But Lord, in as much as we can, I pray that you would help us to do so. Because we do love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Together, we can reach the heart of Decatur. And if you'd like to be a part of that, please go to rendicatororg backslash give and make a commitment to be a part of showing the people of the city of Decatur the truth of Jesus and how much he loves him.